All right, everyone, how are you doing? I'm Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast International Series, and I take an, a return trip up north to introduce uh, Matt. How are you doing, man? Doing well, man. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> um, so in case people have been living under a rock, uh, can you give us a little intro about yourself? Yeah, so, uh, you know, as Sergio mentioned, uh, my name is Matt. I'm from Mississauga, Ontario, up north in Canada. Um, I play, my club team is the Mavericks. Um, I've been playing foam dodgeball for probably five or six years now. And I've been playing cloth dodgeball for about uh, three years. Um, outside of dodgeball, I own my own strength conditioning company. And inside of dodgeball, uh, I'm, I'm on the um, cloth Team Canada team. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's pretty much all of it. <laughs> Um, did I hear you say um, you did like, I'm sorry, I think kind of mixed up in my head, uh, sports training? Yeah, so uh, I went to school for kinesiology. So I have my degree okay. in kinesiology. And then after I graduated, uh, I started working with higher level athletes. So OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, uh, elite Ontario baseball players and things like that. So I've worked with athletes in all different sports. And then that kind of guided me and allowed me the freedom to start my own strength conditioning company. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. You definitely are, definitely are acclaimed and we'll definitely get into that. Um, but before we do, let's get some of the preliminaries out of the way. Um, what's your jersey number uh, for Mavericks and why? Uh, so my jersey number is the same for the Mavericks and for Cloth Canada. Uh, it's number two. So I grew up playing football. My favorite football player was Asante Samuel. He played for the Patriots for a long time, then Philadelphia Eagles. He wore number 22. Um, but I was never a big guy, right? So I always wore the kind of smaller jerseys. And then, so I went through all my years being number two. And then as I started to get a little bit bigger with the strength conditioning, um, luckily enough, I was able to get them to make number two in bigger sizes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got to say, we have not been talking for no more than five minutes and you already became one of my favorite guests. I'm a huge Patriots fan. And, um, yeah, uh, so fun fact, um, when I was nine years old, I went to like, a, I don't know if you guys call it Pop Warner, but a youth football camp. Okay. And yeah. when I used to live in Detroit and, um, and who else? It was like a, a group of football players, like NFL players would come by um, throughout the week or, th- or throughout this one day rather. And like, I would have my hand out, like trying to, you know, high five a couple of these players and they just walk past me. And yeah. the only two people who like high five me were um, Barry Sanders uh, and Drew Bledsoe, who played for the Patriots at the time. And yeah. for me, like I was just a fan of the Patriots ever since, just because of Drew Bledsoe. And then later, oh, some, you know, Ty Law, Teddy Bruschi, like pretty much the entire defensive side of the ball, if you ask me. But that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they left a la- lasting impression. I mean, when you look at me as a kid, it just was like, oh wow, okay, you're not gonna. Give me a high five. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Hundred percent. But so, just like, just did not leave me hanging. So I became a fan simply because of that gesture. Um, oh, for sure, man. I'm, Everybody's got that sentimental story, right? Right. And I'm definitely, definitely not holding a grudge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> considering the dynasty we had, but that, that's a different story for another time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, when did you start playing dodgeball? So I started playing dodgeball um, probably around the end of high school. Uh, it was funny enough, I was playing in a recreational league in uh, the Mississauga 
Burlington area, which is pretty much between Mississauga and Hamilton. Uh, it was just a recreational sports league. We were playing ultimate Frisbee in the summer. And in the winter, we're like, well, we can't play outside because there's no winter league, so we should find something to do inside. So let's play dodgeball. So I started playing dodgeball like that. And then that grew into playing in Mississauga leagues. Uh, playing in Mississauga leagues, I got noticed by a gentleman that went to Humber. And I was like, oh, you know, like you play for Humber. He's like, yeah, you should come out and play with us. So from there, I started playing at Humber and training at Humber um, with, I'm sure, you know, Vic, Victor Gravilli. Um, he was our coach. And then from there, I just kind of blossomed from there, right? So that was probably, I don't know, seven year, seven or eight years uh, of playing dodgeball and then probably about three or four years playing dodgeball competitively. No, um, why, why such a short competitive stint? Uh, before that time, I just wasn't really introduced to the competitive circuit. So I didn't really know about anything along the lines of like tournaments and stuff like that or leagues. There weren't really a lot of leagues in Mississauga. Um, and I had never ventured out beyond Mississauga being, you know, 18, 19 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after that point, I, I, I went out to the university of Windsor first and then I was really disconnected. I wasn't playing at all for about two years, three years. And then once I got back, I kind of started getting back into it. Uh, Humber, that's the same university that uh, Jason Mergler went to? Um, I actually don't know if, if Merg went there. Um, so Humber is actually a college. Uh, so in, in Canada, you have the college-university um, yeah. splits. Um, so Humber is a college, uh, although I do apologize. I'm not sure if Merg went there. <laughs> uh, uh, no, the only reason that, that, that crossed my mind is because um... – all right, so I'm a bit of a nerd, as I you know, I feel like that's bit, I, I feel like that's like the tagline of season five. I'm a bit of a nerd, so I remember watching something with um. Wait, what's his name? Victor. Yeah, Victor Gravilli. Victor Gravilli. Um, I don't know if it was like a documentary or like a prelude to a documentary, but uh, you guys play like the big phone balls in in uh, Humber, right? Uh, so we used to years ago. Now we only play the seven-inch foam. Okay, so yeah, this would have this would have been way back when. And in this documentary kind of tease, I don't know if it was ever released. I want to say I saw Jason Mergler as like the main feature, and he was working out in the gym, practicing throwing. So that th when you when you said Humber, I instantly thought of that like um, documentary tease. So maybe if people okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe if uh, uh, Canada can post that in the comments or, or message me if I'm wrong. But um, I, I feel like that's what clicked in my head. Yeah, I know that the Humber program has been really lucky, too, to um, be so connected with a lot of the Team Canada uh, dodgeball players in the sense that a lot of them will come in and, like, help out the Humber program. So that may have been something to do with it. But truthfully, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this may this might have been six or seven years ago. So I could I could be wrong, but for whatever reason, just made that connection in my head. Um, I heard you said you took a little bit of a break. Is there a reason by, uh, that you took a break from dodgeball? Uh, not really, no. So I, I was never really um, overly involved in dodgeball at that point in my life. I was just kind of playing recreationally at that point. Um, so it was one of those things to kind of stay active for this – kind of in between period in the winter sort of thing right so when I took off and went to Windsor for school um, I didn't have a league out there that I was looking to nor did I actively look for a league out there um, but I was really getting my bearings and getting used to being in university for the first time and stuff like that right it was it was a pretty big transition period for me 
So when I got back home after two years out there, uh, enrolled at Humber, then I was a little bit more settled. Um, I started playing again once I got back here, and then everything kind of took off from there. So um, when you started playing again, uh, what league did you pick up, um, resume your playing career in? So I was playing in uh, in a Mississauga, a small league in Mississauga called BPM. Um, it's it's fairly new actually. I would say it's about four or five years running right now. Hmm. Uh, and, and it was good. It was, it was a good introduction. It was actually my first introduction to playing was seven seven inch. Um, before that, I was playing eight point five. So once you go from, I mean, as I'm sure you know, once you go from throwing eight point five to seven, it's like holy smokes, I can throw these things pretty good. Eight point five rubber. Uh, no, that was 8.5 foam. Uh, oh, okay. Like elephant skin foam, I believe it is. Like the uh, big, big white ones there? I feel like that's more of a brand thing than anything. We have a rhino skin here in the States, but oh, I feel okay. like that's more of a brand thing than anything. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> okay. Um, so you come back, you play in, uh, you said BPM? Yep. And you've been a part of them since what, for five years, give or take? Yeah, yeah, about, about five years or so. Um, I mean, with COVID, everything kind of got shut down, unfortunately. But uh, it's it's at a point now where it's slowly starting to get uh, started again with pickup and stuff like that, right? Uh, it, it was tough because the, the league was just starting out for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, maybe three years, but that might be pushing it before COVID. And then COVID came in and kind of shut down so much, right? Right. So you kind of brought up an elephant in the room. So um, how did you adjust during the during the lockdowns up there? Like, how did you stay in shape? Did you stay in shape? How did you keep staying? <laughs> uh, it, it was actually funny. So um, I started my business in the middle of COVID uh, towards the back. I don't even know if you can call it the back end of COVID right now, but I guess the back end <laughs> of lockdown. But um, so being a strength and conditioning coach, obviously I couldn't work and I couldn't be seeing clients. And for us in our industry, we had to make a really big adjustment to working with people virtually, uh, being able to kind of cue them and, and give them good feedback on movements and exercises over without interacting with them physically, which is a pretty big change of pace in our field. Um, but you kind of get used to it. You know, you kind of, I, I would assume, I don't want to um, think I know how other people operate, but I would assume it's similar for businesses with doing like meetings online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we kind of learned how to do things online in regards to staying in shape for myself. Um, I had two things. So for one, I had all of my resistance bands and stuff like that set up in my gym that I could use. Um, but also I was very lucky to know a physio owner that I do business with. Um, and he actually gave me a key to his facility. So he's like, listen, as long as nobody else is in there and we're not breaking any rules or anything like that, you can use this facility when it's appropriate. Um, so I had access to a little bit of equipment there as well. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, for me, it was a lot of like resistance bands and things like that because resistance bands are so good that you can hook them up pretty much anywhere and do full body workouts, right? Like even now I still train people over zoom and all they have access to is resistance bands and we can build full programs on them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you also had the benefit of a, of a full on gym. <laughs> Not many yeah. people can, can claim to have that, but it's safe to assume, you know, you just made some minor adjustments and you were okay. Yeah. Yeah. Made, made a little bit of minor adjustments. Um, for me, it was more, as I'm sure it was with a lot of people, it was more the mental health side of things. Yeah. Uh, even, even with my business now, you know, I'm a strength conditioning coach, but, I have had my own fights with mental health and I take a very 
proactive approach with my clients and making sure that we create this environment of normalized feelings of being vulnerable. Right. And that starts with me as the coach. So, so before we continue with your story, what would you say is like your, and I'm sure we'll tackle this in the crowdsource questions, but what would you say is the best way to maintain your mental health in times like these uh, where depending on where you are, restrictions are being lifted or being added. Like what would you say is like the biggest, um, the biggest tool you can have to combat the dark thoughts in your head, so to speak? Um, I mean, in my opinion, I would say it's communication, Uh, being able to communicate on different levels. So one communicate with yourself openly and honestly, you know, we, we find ourselves trapped in this cyclical process of negative self-talk a lot of the times. And I think that it's important to acknowledge the feelings and acknowledge the normality of some of these feelings um, and communicating with other people. So whether that's communicating with friends, loved ones, significant others, uh, anything along those lines, because then they can kind of reiterate the same thing. And then it goes back to this idea of creating a safe environment, right? Um, because once you reach out to a loved one or to a significant other saying how, you know, I'm not okay, I'm feeling this way. Realistically, what you're doing is you're creating an environment for them to say the same. They're like, listen, when they're not feeling okay, they can approach you about it and you guys can talk about it. Right. But I think that there's this negative connotation to reaching out to other people that you think, oh, well, I don't want to be a burden on them and put all my ill feelings and stuff that I'm dealing with on them on top of whatever they're feeling, which I think is a very misconstrued idea. So I, I think that communication is really important with yourself, with other people. Um, I know some people have had a lot of success writing it out, maybe typing it out in you know, 2021 with laptops and technology, but <laughs> um, any way to kind of communicate that message because the more you speak something, the more it becomes real, it becomes true, right? And that can be a positive or a negative. The more that we speak these negative thoughts, the more realistic they're going to be. But if we continue to tell ourselves like, feeling these ways are normal, feeling anxious, feeling down, feeling trapped by your four walls, you know, in a lockdown environment, that those feelings are normal, right? You're not alone in going through those fights, even though every fight with mental health is very, very unique and individualistic. Yeah. And um, that's something um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you dove into that um, in full detail. And this is for anyone who's listening um, regardless of where you are, um, just reach out and people will listen. I guarantee you have at least three people in your corner that will reach out to you in, in case you ever feel down because three people can definitely help carry you along the way and more if ever, or more if any, but just want to let everyone know it's okay to, it's okay not to be okay, but yep, do know it does get better. So let's continue with your story. Um, when did you make your first like competitive debut um, uh, uh, up north? Like, what tournament would that be, and how long ago was that? Um, so, the first tournament in general that I ever played in was in the London, Ontario tournament. I apologize, I don't know the official name of it. Um, but I, I played in that tournament, I played in the rec division with a local team that I, I play dodgeball with here. Um, and, and it was fun, man. It was good. It was probably about I'd say two years before, uh, excuse me, probably three years, maybe four years before COVID. 
Um, we were a, a pretty small team. We didn't really know what to expect. This was our first time going into a tournament. Um, the first time that I would consider a competitive tournament that I played in was probably in the OCR um, with Humber. And that was um, two years prior to COVID or a year and a half prior to COVID. Uh, that was, to put it in perspective, that was the first time I'd ever used knee pads in a tournament sort of thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was when that was when I got kind of introduced to the actual movements and stuff like that, right? Because I was always a jumper. I didn't really have any other other dodging mechanics or defensive mechanics, but uh, that's when I started to learn the different methods of it. So in regards to the OCR, which in Canada isn't a super competitive division yet, that's the Ontario Colleges. Um but that was probably my first introduction to a, a competitive tournament in my eyes. And then outside of that, then I started playing in tournaments like um, the big national dodgeball. Uh, I think it's called Festival in Barrie every year. Um, and then I went to provincials as well here in Ontario uh, and things like that. Yeah. Provincials. That's like uh, trying out for Team Canada, right? Uh, so that's, that's part of the process. I don't know okay. what it's going to look like, um, coming out of COVID, but prior to COVID, how it worked was you had to, uh, play in provincials and then the top five teams from that tournament got sent to nationals along with those top five teams. There were individuals that could be selected as a player, as opposed to the full team. Um, and they would be brought into another team. So a sixth team to represent the province or they could be picked up as individuals to add on to one of the existing five teams that made it. Okay. Uh, I, when you said provincials, I'm like, okay, I know there's like a Canada process in there. I knew from previous interviews. <laughs> so I just wanted to like, I mean, obviously it's going to, I don't know how different it's going to look for you guys um, going forward, but with worlds announced in Edmonton uh, next year, I'm sure people are going to be uh, glued glued to the screen to find out more information for anyone interested in trying out for team Canada. Um, what would you say is the, uh, the best way for someone who's going into their first competitive tournament? What's the, the best way to mentally go about it? Cause there is a lot of, there, there's a um, mental leap, obviously you take from playing rec to competitive. What would you recommend to, to players like that to expect? Yeah. So the, the one thing that I would say to expect is, um, first and foremost, it's typically louder. Um, so when you're playing in a recreational environment, you're typically playing in some sort of gym with two teams, you know, and then, yeah, sure, it's loud when the ball's at the wall and stuff like that or, like, play calling. But, you know, when you go to tournaments, you're playing with, I don't know, anywhere from six to 24 courts going at once. So the environment is a lot louder. Um, so that's one thing I kind of um, warn people about, for lack of a better way to put it. But I also tell them, I'm like, you know, you got to kind of get to a point where in, in strength and conditioning and in sports training, we talk about mental imagery. And it's kind of like the old school saying, visualize the win, right? Except it's in much, much more detail. Uh, but I tell people, I'm like, you got to kind of take a deep breath. Don't panic. And remember, you're not doing anything that you haven't done before, right? You, you play dodgeball, even in this recreational environment you know, you're going into this competitive environment, but you're still playing dodgeball. You still know the kind of bases to go off of, right? Sure, you might want a little bit more strategy. Sure, you might want a little bit more play calling and things like that. But in essence, whether you're, it's almost like if you're playing basketball in the schoolyard, 
you're still shooting hoops, right? Whether you're doing it competitively or just for fun, you know what I mean? Right. So, um, I know you mentioned uh, Barry, right? You mentioned Barry. Yep. And a lot of, I know a lot of people from, you know, my side of the border, so to speak, that went up to Barry. But for those who don't know um, too much about Barry, uh, sell us on the experience. Why should, uh, why should I go to Barry? Why should I check it out? Oh, Barry's great, man. Barry's an awesome, awesome tournament. So there is, um, in my experience, and I'm not going to say that I have this super vast experience with tournaments. Um, for example, lo and behold, I've never been to the States yet for tournaments. So that's on my bucket list for sure. Um, but Barry is the best tournament in regards to the size. So to my knowledge, the last Barry tournament had over 140 teams. Uh, it, it's, it's a massive, massive tournament. The venue is always really well ran. Uh, the tournament's very well ran. Um, and, and it's a really good time in regards to being able to see everybody. So I've never been to a tournament that encompasses so many dodgeball players. You know, I've been out to Westerns and you get to Westerns and it's like, oh, well, you know, some of them are coming to the Quebec Cup and I've been to the Quebec Cup and some of them are like, well, I'm not going out West, right? But the one tournament that everybody talks about doing every year is Barry. You know, so, so you'll have, pardon me? Oh, no, no, go continue. Um, so Barry is kind of like that collective tournament that everyone's like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this one, but I'll be there. You know, everybody kind of marks that one off on their calendar. So... <laughs> so safe to assume that it, is that like your is that like your like nationals or more so just the marquee event or a mix of both uh no so that that is not our nationals um that's i would i would explain it more as like the marquee event um so that's kind of like the tournament that's open to everybody in the sense that barry has competitive intermediate and rec um, so everybody is kind of welcome for that tournament. There's a place it's marketed as there's a place for every dodgeballer in that tournament. Whereas mm. our nationals, that's a more competitive tournament. So once again, I, I don't know if it's going to change po uh, post COVID pre COVID, how our nationals worked is that you had to qualify through your provincials, um, depending on where you are, which province in the country, and then you go to nationals. Um, so I, I believe that's, before COVID when we were going to do it because um, I was individually selected. So our nationals were going to be, uh, I think in Alberta, don't, don't hold me to that. I apologize for the uncertainty, but thinking yeah. back two years or so, I'm pretty sure it was going to be in Alberta. So every team that would get the invite to nationals would have played in their provincial tournament, either placed in their provincial tournament or won it. And then they get the invitation to go to, uh, to nationals. So nationals was an invite only tournament. Okay. And um, any news on if Barry will resume next year? That you uh, truth, truthfully, no, not that I've heard of. I, I do apologize. Um, I don't hear too, too much of these things until they kind of fall through the pipeline. <laughs> <sort of. laughs> um, but, but it's kind of good, man, because then I, I, I'm here and I kind of like sit in the surprise and I wait anxiously, you know what I mean? So no, I, I hear you. Um, I wasn't asking as if you had inside knowledge. I was just asking because, um, you know, I, I would like to check it out, obviously. Um, I just want I just want an excuse to go up there. But that's <laughs> the point. Um, but yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it. I, ha I actually had a few friends who went up there and they rave about it like crazy. Um, 
but yeah, that's uh, definitely a trip I would like to take. That's also on my bucket list. Just like your your bucket list includes coming out here, and my bucket list includes going up there. So um, yeah, yeah definitely. for sure, man. <laughs> definitely uh, let the good times roll when we can and when we find out. So um, I know you mentioned uh, Ultimate Frisbee, but um, growing up, did you have another, like, any sports uh, background? Uh, yeah, so uh, growing up, I, uh, I started off playing soccer. I played soccer all through my childhood, and then um, through the school I was going going to, I kind of played pretty much every sport other than hockey, funny enough. Um, and then when I got to high school, um, I had the choice. So my family never had a whole lot of money. Um, it was it was my myself, my older brother, and then my mom. And uh, I kind of had the choice to either stick with soccer or make the transition to football. Um, so my brother started playing football and really enjoyed it. So I wanted to do the same. So I ended up going to play football. I played football for uh, about three years, three years in my high school. Um, got a little bit of notice from one of the universities up here, ended up getting hurt, was hospitalized for a week. Uh, and then that was kind of the end of my football playing days. So, <laughs> and then after that, I kind of um, went back to quote unquote beer league soccer sort of thing with some friends and just staying active and enjoying it. Right. Right. Uh, what was the injury that left you on the shelf for a week? Uh, so I ended up clotting an artery going to one of my kidneys Ooh. Um, yeah, so I, I, I always played halfback. I was always DB, hence why Asante Samuel was my favorite player. <laughs> um, so I picked off the quarterback. Um, I was running it back. The way that he came around and hit me, the ball shifted downwards a little bit as I fell to the ground. I ended up clotting the artery. Um, found out later that night, was sent to a local hospital and spent the next week there. <laughs> I mean, as someone who played football growing up, I got to say, that's a one in a million hit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, know, man, it <laughs> I mean, if you were to tell me, oh, you broke a rib or, you know, maybe broke a tailbone, maybe artery, though, like that genuinely, that's a one in a million hit, man. Well, you know, and, and honestly, I, I was really lucky because so on the sixth day in the hospital, they said, listen, you know, if this doesn't clear up, we got to go in and fix it. And they pretty much gave me about a 12 hour window to be like, you know, we're going to give you time for the body to kind of heal itself. Um, and thankfully enough, I was lucky that, you know, by the time that they went in to check again, that the clot in the artery ended up pretty much clearing itself. So they didn't have to go in and do surgery and I was able to go home. So, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a silver lining, right? No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely had someone watching over you for that one. And um, I'm definitely happy to hear that. Well, happy to hear that you were able to go home. Not happy to hear that you were in the hospital. <laughs> just for the viewers at home, I'm not happy that he was hurt. I was just, <laughs> I don't want this to turn into, wow, Sergio really is rude to the guests. No, I'm not, people. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, I try to provide worry, a good man. experience. <laughs> Wouldn't be the only only time that I heard that uh, someone was happy that I was hurt. So. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? Whoever. All right. Let me just, this is for whoever said that to him. If I have to come up there in Canada, just know I'm American and I throw these hands. That's by the point. <laughs> and I'm from Detroit, it, so we don't play. We don't play. Now, you you, you seem it. like a cool dude, that. man. I got to say. You seem like a cool dude. So um, let's talk about your uh, national career. You said you played uh, cloth, right? Yeah. Um, well, when did you start playing cloth uh, at that level? And um, what would you say is one of, like, your biggest highlights at that level? 
Yeah, so uh, I started playing cloth about uh, either three or four years ago. Uh, I apologize for the wonky timelines too, man. COVID throws everything off, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not going to hold you too much to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so probably about three years ago, uh, I was playing for about a year, maybe a year and a half prior to the start of COVID. Um, and how that came about was kind of funny. So I had uh, one of my good friends was like, hey, man, I'm going out to Hamilton to play in this charity tournament. Do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. So I went into this tournament and then um, played in the tournament, had a lot of good fun. And I was actually approached by some of the people on the um, Cloth Canada committee that kind of organized the team and create the team. And they're like, listen, you know, we'd love to have you come out to a team tryout. Like, you know, you, you, you got to try out. And I was like, all right, sure. Why not? <laughs> so things ended up going well at the tryouts. ended up making the team. And, uh, and, uh, my, my big moment, I guess you would say, or like my favorite moment so far playing with Cloth Canada, uh, would definitely be when we faced the, uh, the Americans in the America's cup. Uh, so I don't know if you saw that video. That was the one where the highlights went absolutely viral. <laughs> and it came yeah, down it was to, on uh, ESPN, I believe. Yeah, so it was on ESPN, and the I, I don't know, I don't think the entire thing got all the views, but the, the six or seven minute clip of the comeback you guys made got a lot of reviews, or yeah. seeing a lot of views online, and <laughs> and it was funny because that was kind of like my fifteen seconds of fame, but it was also my fifteen seconds of shame because it came down to me versus two Americans in overtime. And I end up losing it. <laughs> Wait, that was you? Yeah, that was me. Oh, um, yeah. all right. Let me share that perspective from my end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so one, I was not there, obviously. But this the funny story that you mentioned that. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, COVID did throw a wrinkle in the timeline, so to speak. Uh, so I want to say this had to have been... I'm just going to say probably two and a half years ago, maybe three. Okay. Um, when this happened and um, a lot of people at my job know me as quote unquote, the dodgeball guy, you know, Oh, right. why does he have this weekend off? He's going to play dodgeball here or there or whatever. <laughs> and um, so sometimes like my coworkers will send me, will will send me dodgeball clips or ask me if I know this person or that person. So I work in this wine shop in Hollywood and um, we have these TVs literally lining up the whole store. And my boss, um, after we closed, like, he was like, hey, I wanted to show you this. Um, and obviously, we have some pretty big screens. He's like, hey, do you know any of these guys? I'm like, yeah, I know some of the Americans, or I know a lot of the Americans and only some of the Canadians. And yeah. uh, my boss was like, yo, I, I did not realize how intense dodgeball was because look at this comeback <laughs> at, like, the last two minutes of it. And, uh, yeah, it was, like, pretty much – I think it was two or even three against one. I can't recall. But I want to say most likely it was two against you. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about, baby. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Well, so. you know what? And it's funny, man, because – so in that video, a lot of people see that that clip, right? And, you know, you can watch the entire game. You can watch that clip. It kind of depicts the same message. I'm very, very animated. I'm very animated throughout that entire clip. And it like, it looks good on me because then it comes down to me being animated and I'm the one that ends up losing in the 2v1, right? And yeah. it's funny because in Canada, when I interact with people about it and we talk about it, uh, I get a lot of slack for being like so animated. And I kind of explain to people, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not always like that. That was a uh, almost like a victim of circumstance sort of thing, right? Whereas we had our home crowd there. I had a teammate come up to me and be like, listen, we want you to keep the crowd engaged. So 
it, I don't want to say it was like the antics of the moment, but like, if you ever see me in a tournament, you'll never see me get that fired up. So it's funny looking back at it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, obviously I've, I've never seen you play. That's less, sadly the only clip I see. <laughs> and, all, and all I can remember was, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, son. Yeah. <laughs> I'm high-fiving my boss for showing me the clip. And I don't think the whole game was ever displayed. I think it was just the highlight of it. But um, uh, I, I know that it was in Canada. In Canada, it was shown on uh, like our equivalent of ESPN is TSN. TSN. Uh, yeah. So we had it on TSN here, but I don't know about the States. So you had the whole game um, on TSN, but over here we just get the highlights. Yeah. So so it was um, uh, here. It was on TSN, and it was the entire game. And then I think, like I said, I don't know the American networks too too well, but I think it was like the the Ocho. Is that a thing in the states or ESPN? <laughs> it, it, it's a parody ESPN channel. Yes. Oh, so that might have been it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry for rooting against you. Actually, not really. I was rooting for America. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hold it against you, man. No worries. Well, I might have just canceled my trip to Canada. Now, all of a sudden, I don't feel safe. (laughs) There you go, man. (laughs) So, um, is that the only time you ever represented Canada? Yeah, so that was was the only time. Um, I was supposed to be selecting the country for, or excuse me, me, um, representing the country for the worlds in Scotland when, when that was a thing, I believe that's where it was going to be yes. um, before COVID had kind of shut that down. Right. And then uh, moving forward, we haven't gotten any official announcements on what's going to happen yet. So, you know, when the time comes, hopefully it'll work out again and hopefully I'll be uh, up to par. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So um, I kind of want to ask you this now, cause you do have international experience. Um, how does it feel when you put on that, that maple leaf on your back. How does it feel putting on that national jersey? Oh, I love it, man. I love it. It's you, you represent you 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 fall into this idea of representing more than than yourself, right? And you know, I, I've played on sports teams before where it's like, you know, you play for the badge, right? I mean, I know that's a big saying in soccer. I don't know if it yeah. translates well to other sports, but we're always told you play for the badge. And there's no feeling like really buying into playing for the badge like you do when you play for the country. You know, you, you represent so much more than, than just yourself or just your organization, right? Like, it's the feeling of knowing, A, that my interactions with the players that I'm playing against are going to somewhat manipulate their ideas of what Canada, what Canadians are like within their interactions. And then you look at it from a different perspective of, you know, having kids come up to you and asking for your autograph and things like that, you know, that that's such a, an incredible feeling, you know, it's, it's this out of, out of body experience, right. Where it's like, you know, I was able to, you, you, you talk about having Drew Bledsoe and, and uh, Barry Sanders coming up and like high-fiving you and the impact that that had. Right. And it's like, you kind of think about it in this really, really, really micro micro element or aspect you have that kind of same effect right you know your either positive or negative interaction with these kids could potentially have bearing on whether they continue to play in the sport or not that is well well said um yeah you i gotta say i mean not that i'd expected less but you're really intelligent dude 
<laughs> I appreciate not, it, man. You give me you give me too much credit. <laughs> not, like I said, not like I was expecting anything less, but that was really well put, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Was, that. Thank you. Man. That was really well put. Um, so let's talk about role models. Um, did you have any role models growing up? And do you have any role models currently in dodgeball? Uh, I mean, the the role models in, in dodgeball are, I'm lucky enough to say at this point, are a lot of my peers, you know. Um, Josh Hustis, you know, the Jason Merglers of dodgeball, you know, Jeff Snow. Um, and then I play with a great group of guys on the Mavericks. You know, some of them you might have heard of, uh, Matty Garcia Silvera. Severa, um, Richard Tom Singh, some of these guys that have played at the national level, and then some of my guys that I came up with in Humber. So, you know, peers and or people to look up to in dodgeball, I'm, I'm surrounded by them, right? Uh, oh, another one on the Mavericks too, Kaelin Esterbrooks. He's another good friend of mine. Uh, role models in life, I don't know, man. There's a lot, right? Um, I, I do or I did a lot of emotional, uh, motivational speaking, excuse me, and guest speaking in high school and classrooms and stuff like that. And one of my role models in my speakings was Will Smith, who does a lot of motivational work. Um, I always liked looking up to people like Gandhi, who knew what they stood for, Martin Luther King, figures like that, mm-hmm. um, who had a message, who knew how to stand for them. Um, but in regards to like specific role models, there, there's a lot, man. Those are probably a few that I would think of. And my God, in, in the dodgeball world, there's even more than that. <laughs> like I look at this talent, man. Like even when I was playing in, in Westerns out in Calgary, like I had the privilege of playing with uh, Cody Foley, Cody Stidham, um, and Hashi as well. And like, I'm like, my God, man, these guys are they're so talented. They're such talented individuals. And like beyond being talented on the court, they're just really good human beings off the court and they're fun guys to be around. Right. So I could go on for days about in dodgeball, man. I apologize. <laughs> uh, man, this is your episode, man. Take your time with it. And I can honestly say with uh, Cody Stidham and Cody Foley, um, yeah, man, they're they're genuinely great people. Um, you're lucky to have Cody uh, Foley up in, uh, I think he's in Toronto. Uh, yeah. We definitely miss him out here. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely miss him out here. Um, there's definitely a lot of shenanigans me and him got into, but uh, – that's not for that's not for podcast uh, <laughs> stories to be shared, but no, no, he's a, he's a great dude. I love that man, him and and Sidham. Um, did you say uh, Will Smith, the Fresh Prince? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was funny actually. <laughs> just just quickly on on Will Smith. So a story that a lot of people don't know is, um, and and I tell this to all the students that I talk to because I speak to a lot of students, and even now, you know, I'm graduated now, but I still go back and do guest speaking segments for Humber. Uh, and I tell them the story that Will Smith tells everybody. And he talks about his, him and his brother building a brick wall when Will was nine and his brother was 12. And their father owned this you know, little store down in, in Philadelphia. And, uh, and he tore down the exterior wall. And he looked at Will and his brother and he said, build the wall. And he's like, I expect you guys to build this wall. And they looked at each other and they're like, you know, there's no way that neither of us could build this wall. We have no idea what we're doing. Like, look at the task at hand. And he tells the story of how his father said to them, he said, you never think about building the wall. You lay each brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid and allow the wall to build itself. And you talk about like motivational role models, that idea, that conceptual idea has shaped so much of my life more than probably anything else has that I tell it to everybody in hopes that, you know, 
one student down the road can relate to that and be like, wow, like I don't need to stress about this exam that's coming up at the end of my semester if I'm just focusing on all of my lectures and doing my work consistently, you know? And, and now that I'm a little bit older, I've had moments where I have kids come up to me and they're like, oh, I remember you for my grade nine class or I remember you when you did this guest speaking segment. And that is truthfully the most humbling feeling I've ever had. Like I, I'm... I'm beyond words for appreciation of those moments. Wow. Um, as someone who uh, <laughs> grew up watching Will Smith in pretty much every, you know, avenue of media, I even still have some of his old school uh, Fresh Prince cassettes. That's how far back I go. <laughs> uh, I actually did not know that story. Um, so I actually feel like one of those kids in uh, Humber now. It just really blew my mind. Um, I'm not really showing my age, people. I still have cassettes. I don't care what y'all say. Uh, <laughs> you, got the, you got the originals with DJ Jazzy Jeff, man. Yeah, I, I'm not kidding. I, I will never sell them. I'm pretty sure I can get a hefty, hefty penny for it. Uh, but yeah, like I'm gonna have a little rant right now because I can. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I have like one of those like uh, back back when they had um, those like little booklets in the cassettes with the lyrics and whatever and like yeah. some of the <laughs> I'm getting old people. I don't care what That's y'all say. Awesome, man. <laughs> so when you, when you mention Will Smith, I'm like, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember being Will Smith um, or I was, what was it? What was his character? Uh, Mike Lowry. Uh, when yeah. I was 11 years old as a uh, bad boys for Halloween. Yeah. Mike and Marcus, man. Ride together, we die together. <laughs> My dog, that's what I'm talking about. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, you get man, this. 100%. All right, you're going to be Martin Lawrence. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm down, man. Just call me Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, this is more like a chat and less like an interview. I, th I think people are going <laughs> to, for two people who've never met, this is really cool. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I'm digging it. It's, I'm it's fun, man. I'm digging it, man. Okay, so um, prior to, let's say, competitive tournament, prior to nationals, prior to representing Team Canada, do you have any, like, pregame ritual? Any, like, set uh, routine you have to do before you step on the court? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say anything too, too particular. Uh, the one thing that I'm – I don't know if I'm known for, the one thing that I always do is I never like to wear my jersey before going on court. So I'll always wear like some sort of different warm up shirt. Oftentimes it's a hoodie or something like that. And then if I have a jersey like our our Mavericks jersey or the Team Canada jersey, it goes on right before the start of the first game. Um, that's probably like the only kind of pregame routine that I have. Why I have no idea. <laughs> you could also say like I'm always listening to music before games and in between games stuff like that. Um, and then with the nature of what I do for a living, my warm ups are like 25 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's understandable. Um, I kind of do something similar where I'll come in with a hoodie on, but my jersey underneath, and like right before the whistle goes, I'll, I'll take off my hoodie. Okay, yeah. So I, I do yeah. something kind of similar in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny, man. Like because I've been the first time I can recall doing that was uh in like my grade six elementary school basketball team because <laughs> i remember watching like all the nba guys warming up in different shirts and i'm like cool i want to be like them too <laughs> yeah um that that probably subconsciously that's what that's what did it for you 
I don't know if you had any like tear away jerseys and like pants or whatever, but you, that's where you picked it up. Oh man, I wasn't that cool. You're giving me way too much credit now. No, no, no. What? I mean, I'm I'm just dissecting the psychology of your habit. That's where you picked it up. <laughs> now, whether yeah, you I do it or not, now, the, the tearaways, yeah. Like whether you do it or not, that's on you. But I'm just saying that's where you figured it out. Yeah, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. <laughs> um, do you listen to any pregame music? Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm kind of like an old school hip hop kind of guy. Um, in general, I listen to honestly everything, but pregame, that's typically what I'm listening to. Uh, anything from like, I don't know, Dr. Dre and NWA and people like that, um, Ice Cube and older artists like that. And then you have kind of like the transition, what I call like, quote unquote, the transitional period, like the early 2000s. You have like your DMX and 50 Cent, things like that. And then. <laughs> like a little bit of the newer artists of like the Jay Coles and the Kendrick Lamars and Big Sean's stuff like that. Right. Oh man. You, you, I might actually have to say this. You might be the Canadian version of me. Um, <laughs> That's a compliment to me, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then now you're giving me too much credit. Um, <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned uh, DMX. I actually have a funny story I'll share with you. Um, once we stop recording, maybe I'll share it online. Um, in a future episode, but I, de- I definitely think you'll like this uh, DMX story I got for you. So, <laughs> so uh, let's get into some of these crowdsource questions, or what I or what I like to call Sydney asking everything. Um, <laughs> I love Sydney. So, first comment uh, from Sydney Somerville, and more so a comment than a question. This is the interview we've been waiting for. Me. All I needed was a yes, and your boy made it happen. So, obviously, she was really excited um, to have you on. (laughs) But her first question is, well, she has a series of questions. So, the first one, what's one of the biggest milestones in your weight loss journey? Uh, Well, first and foremost, I appreciate the, uh, the, the... kind comments for sure about wanting me to be on the podcast that's that's definitely appreciated um <laughs> the the milestone probably in in my weight loss journey i would say is um probably when i did my first photo shoot so when i did my first photo shoot it was kind of the recognition that i didn't know that i wanted um you know like i, I was when i was younger man i was this really really big chunky looking kid man you know i think i was more round than i was tall and i kind of threw out of it a little bit and then I went through like that you know those first couple of years in in university man you kind of fall out of good habits right and then you know I went through a, a pretty dark period in my in my life and you know with the lack of sleep when I couldn't sleep those nights I had a 24-hour gym and that kind of turned it around right and you know and then lo and behold a couple months later I'm kind of getting recognition being like hey do you want to do this shoot and I was like cool man <laughs> now I got my own clothing line so I'm like okay well now I do my own photo shoots. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What was this photo shoot for? Uh, so I had a, a local artist that wanted to kind of expand his portfolio as a photographer. So he wanted to get more into fitness shooting. Mm. Um, and he's like, hey, man, you know, like I'm looking for, for a model for this shoot. Would you be interested? And I was like, sure, man. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, you know, that's and then- major recognition there for a fitness shoot. Yeah, I was, I mean, I think he was pretty misguided, man. I'm not sure I was the best candidate, but hey, I'll take the recognition. <laughs> um, is that why you avoided hockey? No, so it was actually kind of curious, it actually kind of funny. Um, 
hockey in Canada is, you know, one of the most expensive sports to play, right? You got uh, all the equipment and then ice time and things like that. So it gets pretty costly. So mm. uh, when it was just my mom, my brother and I growing up, we didn't really have a lot of spare money to play with. Um, right. and, and like, you know, things like soccer was so easy to be in because, you know, all you need is a pair of boots for every couple of years and pay the fees for the league, which up here is like, I don't know, like $180 or so for the season. And you're kind of good to go. Right. And then even then you can just get a soccer ball and kick it around outside. So it's pretty accessible. Um, but no, my, my decision to never kind of get into hockey was more financially driven as a kid. And then just the interest was never really there, which is kind of funny because now my primary athletes that I train are hockey players. <laughs> do, do you like watching hockey at least, or are you just not interested at all? No, I don't mind watching it. Um, you yeah. know, going to the Leafs game is always an awesome experience. And then watching it on TV and stuff like that, I'll definitely get behind. Like, I know the Leafs and, and follow the Leafs quite a bit. Um, mm. I just never really had too much interest playing it, in all truthfulness. That's fair. I mean, growing up, um, I've never played ice hockey, but I've always played uh, street hockey, where instead of us having a puck, we had like a small rubber ball. We played with okay, a little yeah. I, I mean, I know how to skate on the ice, but playing on the ice yeah you're not gonna catch me anywhere near that <laughs> um i mean i could deliver a good hit i could do that <laughs> i could pass yeah, really well but i don't know if i go, could do man. that with a puck um <laughs> different different mechanics i'm sure uh <laughs> so her next question and she's she had several for you uh, yeah, what moment do you <laughs> what moment do you remember more vividly than the rest this seems kind of like an open open-ended question uh do you know what she means by that um i don't know if it if she means dodge probably with the weight loss related oh with the weight loss what moment do i realize or do, do i recall more than the rest um probably the point that i realized that i'm i'm almost like a like a visual role model for other people I think once you once you kind of acknowledge that fact where it's like people kind of look up to your progress or where you're at, you your perspective on things get altered quite a bit where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, at, you just go from this point of, okay, I'm just doing me and like nobody's really looking and I don't really care, right? So it's like, okay, well, I'm doing me, but I'm kind of consciously aware of, you know, other people are are looking at me for like motivation or inspiration or anything like that. Right. Or guidance, especially now with me being educated in the field. So you kind of get, become more aware of this, I guess you would say. And, it, and it's almost like um, it's, it allows you to have a, a more widespread message. And that was something that was a privilege. I was always very, very appreciative of um, that. I hope I haven't abused knock on wood. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that think I have in some, way shape or form but um but yeah like the one moment that i'd say i recall more than others is kind of acknowledging that that recognition where it's like you know my degree says that i'm an expert in my field and that goes right to that recognition of being like wow you know like now i'm one of those people you know you hear strength and conditioning coaches for sports teams and stuff it's like yeah our education comes from the same bases and that's kind of a, a pretty wild thing to recognize wow um yeah i mean once you get that degree i mean no one can question what you know right yeah you'd be surprised <laughs> man 
I, well, this this is me doing this again. If you questioning this man and his degree, I can I can make a, a flight right now. I, I got his back. <laughs> I'm from Detroit. We, we protect ours. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the way she asked this question, I'm thinking that's what she meant. But um, if I was wrong, I'm definitely gonna hear about it. Um, and speaking of which, I decided to chime in. So I don't know if you know this, but um, I want to say two weeks ago, I got to meet Sydney and Katie. Yeah. So I ask you, yeah, I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite uh, favorite moments with each of them? Oh my gosh! Uh, Whether together or individually. Favorite moment with with both of them individually is is a lot, man. Every time I see Katie, I'm very appreciative. You know, Katie and I have done a lot with uh, the youth program. I know that she mentioned it in her interview with you. Yep. Um, so we, before COVID, oh, it, that sucked, man. Like we, we had a lot of momentum going with a lot of kids. We must have had close to 40 kids under the age of, I don't know, 12, 13 that we were taking through these youth programs. And uh, she would work with the younger ones, maybe like, I don't know, four to six, depending on like their coordination levels and stuff like that. Maybe they would come in, like the older ones would come into the older groups. Um, and I would work with the older kids and she would do a lot of work getting them introduced to it. And I would get do a lot of work getting them um, kind of fine tuned into the skills, almost like it's a clinic, like a dodgeball clinic sort of thing, more than just kind of endlessly throwing balls randomly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say like for Katie, it's definitely, um, definitely our youth program that we did. Uh, for the both of them together, I'd say it was we played the three of us had played in one tournament together. Uh, it was a very, very small tournament for oh my gosh, I'm not even gonna remember what the camp was called, and I apologize for not being able to remember that. The tournament was in Scarborough, uh, which is a little bit east of Toronto. And that was the only tournament the three of us played together. We won the tournament. It was good fun. Uh, my favorite moment with Sid is is uh, I had the experience of playing with Sydney a couple of different times in different local tournaments in Hamilton and, you know, just being able to kind of see her growth as an individual, both on and off the court. Right. That's, that's something that I'm appreciative of. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful to be able to call both of them good friends of mine and continue to see both of their growths as humans and as dodgeball players. Yeah. Um, my first impression of uh, Sid, uh, Sydney, She's really cool, man. <laughs> like really down to earth, way more chill than I thought. And honestly, I left Dallas enlightened and honored to have met her and Katie. Katie, Katie. So when I met Katie, it was funny. I guess it, at some point, um, I'm blanking out right now. So at some point during the tournament, Sydney comes up to me. I guess they had a break or whatever, and she tells me Katie wants to see me. And I'm like, where is she? And Sydney, in her sarcastic way, says, well, she's not here. But <laughs> obviously putting me on blast, because why not? I'm the target. And uh, when, I saw, when I saw Katie, she, she was just a joy, like a total, total joy. And, you know, I, one of my biggest regrets is not having enough time to really, you know, kick it with them, because my trip was kind of cut short. But, um, oh, man, I'm sort of here. Yeah, but no, otherwise, like, my first impression of Katie is I know she's a killer on the court, but she's definitely a sweetheart. And um, I know she's going to do a lot more. You guys are going to do a lot more good up in Hamilton. So the momentum you think you lost, I mean, or 
you might have lost that momentum a couple years ago, but I promise you, after people hear her story and after people hear your story, it'll pick right. It'll pick uh, pick right back up again. That's the hope, my man. That's the hope, right? Well, I can. T- I, that's the hope, and I'm willing to. I'm willing to wager on it. So um, <laughs> my <laughs> the final part of the question. I'm pretty sure you answered. It. How awesome are they? Oh, they're fantastic, man. On and off the court, they're just good people. You know, it's it's interesting because their their portfolios, especially on the court, are so drastically different. Where Sid is more of a kind of a loud person on the court, and Katie is kind of more quiet on the court. Um, but in you know off the court, they're just they're both great people, man. They've they've both lived very unique lives that like all of us they kind of our experiences shape the person within right you know and and they're very unique in both of their own ways um but it's good man they're both great people they're they're really good time to be around and like i said i'm very appreciative for both of them yeah for sure um yeah i definitely noticed that dynamic I, i saw a couple um clips of their of their games over the weekend and over the years and i can say they have um a, a dynamic similar to a Shaq and Kobe in the early 2000s. Yeah. Like they were dominant together. And yeah. even though they're dominant separately, they're dominant together. Like capital D O M I N A T E, dominant together. And um, they're kind of like Shaq and Kobe or Paul Walker and Vin Diesel or okay. The Rock and whoever his tag team partner is. I don't know. Just they're, they're a solid package deal to have. And, um, yeah, uh, I look forward to seeing them again for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> and with that segue, I interviewed her about five months ago. Katie Morrison, cloth versus foam. So I'm guessing she's asking um, either. This is this is also kind of open ended. So I, I guess she's asking which would you rather prefer. <laughs> um, <laughs> would I prefer cloth or foam? So I think personally, if I had to choose one or the other, I'd probably say foam. I've been playing it for longer. Mm. Um, it's also a lot more uh, popular in Canada right now. So my exposure to foam is a lot greater than it is um, cloth. But they're different games, man. They're really different games. And like the way that I kind of explain it to people is – similar to, to the comparison that you made before, right? Where it's like comparing ball hockey to ice hockey. You know what I mean? Like the, the strategy is different. Um, the rule set is different, right? The, the pace of play is even different. So they're definitely different games. Um, I've, I've got years more experience in foam than I do cloth. Uh, so if I had to pick two, it would probably be a hard decision, but it would probably be foam. Even though you've represented uh, cloth in Canada? Yeah, I would say so, man. I would say so. I once again, I'm I'm very appreciative for the opportunity to play cloth at that level, at that international level. Um, and I'm I'm excited for my continued growth in both sides too, right? But it's a tough one, man. It, that that's a tough question. That, that's probably the hardest question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you have any kids, but this feels like asking what your favorite kid is. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd be like the next one born, man. I promise. <laughs> All right, uh, Sydney. Um, what piece of advice would you give someone struggling with their mental health game or mental game on the court? Sorry, mental game on the court. 
So th- this is an interesting one because I got a couple moments that, you know, I had a hard time reflecting on and I got to give credit to where credit's due. Uh, two people that helped me a lot in my kind of closer circle in the dodgeball community with that is uh, Victor Gravilli and uh, Cato, Kaylin Esterbrooks. Um, because I'm one of those people that when I'm on the court and if I mess up, it sticks with me. But if I do something really well, it doesn't really stick with me, right? It's the idea of like, losing feels worse than winning feels good right Mm. but the thing that i've learned in my years of playing dodgeball now is like i kind of approach it as you have to in baseball right so if you're a hitter in baseball you can't go up there expecting to hit every ball right your average is always going to be worse than it is better right like the best players in the league the best hitters in the league bat 300 on a on a good season so that's kind of the approach that I take in dodgeball now where it's like, look, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do things that are good. I'm going to do things that are bad, things that are bad. I'm going to let it go. And the things that are good, I'm not going to let it get to my head either. Right? It's kind of keeps me in this level headed approach to, to my game. Right. So, you know, the, the mental battle on the court is just saying, you know, I know what I can do. I do it day in and day out. You know, if I'm, if one thing's not working, then I'm going to, tap into other things that I do well, right? If my throw's not on, then I'm going to focus on my pressure game. My pressure game's not on, then I'm going to focus on my survivability and all these other different facets, right? Yeah, so when you broke that down, uh, it took me back to uh, 2010. Um, I'm a huge Lakers fan. And um, growing up, literally followed his career, his entire career, and sadly up, up until his passing, uh, Kobe Bryant, game seven against the Celtics. He was having an off shooting day. He yeah. was just not making anything. That was not his best performance by any means. But he helped in other ways. He locked down whoever his defensive assignment was. He fought harder for rebounds. He dished out more so to open teammates. Made a few shots but it definitely wasn't his best shooting performance based on the defensive scheme Boston had. And like you said, like, you know, if you, if this isn't working for you, work on your pressure game, work on your, this work on your, that, like something's going to work for you. You're at that level for a reason. Yeah. It's very rare that you're 100% shut down. And, you know, I, I attributed even though that wasn't his best shooting performance, I consider that one of his best performances because he was as scrappy as it, because when it gets, when it gets down to the trenches, you find out how good you really are. You know, the game isn't always going to be one pretty, (laughs) you know what I mean? The game is not going to be one, you know, with clean hands. Sometimes you got to, you know, get in the dirt, get in the trenches. Many wars have been put in the trenches. So. For sure, man. And like, sorry, go on. I apologize. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, Kobe's a perfect example, and another one is Michael Jordan, right? So one athlete that I look up to his career, like so many others, is is Mike, right? And I, I don't know if you saw it. It was pretty popular, the Last Dance documentary. Of course. Yeah, so, so there's one point at the uh, USA camp that Mike is interviewed as they're going to a golf game. They're like, Mike, ball's in, ball, you guys got the ball. Who's taking the final shot? And Mike's like, what kind of question is that? I am, obviously. Like, and that that to me, that is the the definition of killer instinct. Like that I always think about that quote. And Kobe was the same way because Kobe could be 150 
and Kobe's still like, there's one second left on the clock, give me the ball, mm-hmm. right? And, and I take that into into dodgeball. It's like, listen, I don't care how bad of a game that I'm having. If it's 1v1 to win whatever it is, put me on the court. Put me on the court, like, against anybody. Against anybody, like, I, I don't want the ball in anybody else's hands. Like, I have the confidence in myself. And this goes back to the idea of when the lows feel low, that I can still kind of pull myself out of it because it's like, have that confidence. I know that I can do it. You know, it's that willingness to bet on yourself. Right. And sometimes, yeah, there's a moment where, you know, you got to win in other ways. Right. I'm known as in Canada, I'm known as a really gritty dodgeball player. Right. I draw a lot of attention. I, your eyes are kind of always on me, things like that. Right. But yeah, I mean, like it goes back to that kind of black mamba, mentality right where it's like yo this is what you got to do like you gotta <laughs> if you don't have faith in yourself man where, where are you going here right like your first yeah. step is finding it you know yeah well said um yeah i love i love the last dance uh one of my favorite quotes from that um when michael when michael jordan says i, I took it personally yeah there's, <laughs> there are moments like that where it's like in dodgeball whether it's you know whether a bad call or someone snicker at me from the from the stands or just something not going my way and then i see the opposition celebrating not overly celebrating but just celebrating there's that switch in my mind like i take that personally right <laughs> so uh yeah that, that the last dance is essentially like i've watched that so many times it's it's obsessive literally yeah, 100%, obsessive. 100% uh, it was great all right, so her next question, what's something you tell your teenage self having all the all the knowledge you have now? Oh, my gosh. If there's one thing I could tell my teenage self, it would probably be to uh, have confidence. Have confidence in yourself. You know, when you're talking to, to teenagers, and I think now more than ever, even adults are struggling with this right now, going through COVID and all these kind of like, life crises and things like that and redefining who we want to be as individuals you know you, you gotta have confidence in yourself if, if you want to make some sort of change have the confidence to do it right like have the confidence that you can figure it out you know the willingness you hear you know toronto raptors basketball player fred van Vliet. he's known for saying bet on yourself right always mm. always bet on yourself man like have have the confidence and, and i tell people all the time i'm like if you have the people around you that don't instill that same confidence, change them. Like always create this social circle for you to have other people that are going to be in your ear, whether it's realistic or not being like, heck yeah, you can do this, man. Like, sorry, I don't know if you like swearing on the podcast, but like, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, like you you can hundred percent do this. Right. My perspective when I'm talking to people and like, you know, the question is, what would I tell my teenage self? Well, it's kind of easy because I talk to teenagers all the time through Humber, through high schools and stuff like that in the guest being segments. I'm like, listen, if you don't feel confident that you can't do this, let's figure out a strategy that gets you on the right page to becoming that success story, right? If you want to be an astronaut, let's sit you down and look at the high school courses and whatever tutors you need to be good at the courses that you need to, to put you on that path. Because 100% you can do it. It's just about betting on yourself and doing your own due diligence to make sure that you know you're taking the right course of actions in the short term that are going to lead to that long-term goal that you have so when i speak to teenagers and 
looking back at myself, I'd say, yeah, man, have the confidence to to bet on yourself that you can do it. Don't be afraid of the idea of failure, right? I mean, it sounds kind of cliche at this point, but the only failure is going through something and not learning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I tell people all the time, I changed my major four times at two different schools before I fell into kinesiology and absolutely fell in love with it. Right. Where would I be today if I was too afraid to, to walk away from the program that I was already in? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> you, you so talked that was a little bit of a rant. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, I was just like, just envisioning everything you say. And uh, I, like I said, I kind of feel like one of those kids in uh, Humber and variety of high schools you've, you've visited. And I'm sure you see yourself in a lot of these kids. So that question was relatively easy to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next question, uh, well, next series, I guess. The highest point so far in your dodgeball career? Highest point so far in my dodgeball career? Um, With probably, there's probably two, man. So, like, once again, you know, I don't want to compare ball hockey to ice hockey, right? So, in the (laughs) cloth side of the world, the, the highest point was, you know, putting on the leaf and representing the country. Um, that was, that was an honor. Right. And, you know, it was funny because one of the local high schools, actually it was my high school that I went to in Mississauga. They go back and we do a Dodge cancer tournament every year. Um, obviously with COVID, we haven't been able to, but they had four students that were fighting cancer at that time. So what we did was we put on a huge dodgeball tournament and, uh, the winning team out of the students got to face a Team Canada player with all the teachers. So it was me and all the teachers, right? Mm. And, you know, just to be able to do that, to be able to give back to the school and be able to bring all this excitement was a complete and utter honor. And that's, I would say, from, like, the cloth side of dodgeball. Uh, the foam side of dodgeball was probably uh, either getting the individual selection to nationals or to probably becoming a Maverick for the first time. Um or I guess officially, mm-hmm. uh, because both of them came with, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations and it came with a lot of required personal growth, both on and off the court. Um, and it was a long journey, man. It was, you know, my journey to nationals was three years coming and my journey to be a Maverick was kind of the same way. Right. When I got to Humber, it was like my end goal was being a Maverick and representing team Canada on the foam side as well. And it's like, I had to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, so, same thing like that Will Smith story. How do I lay out the bricks to build that wall? The wall is those big achievements, but what do I do in the short term to get myself there? You know, and, and when you when you see your name on the jersey, when you see your name in selections or you're getting the phone calls or emails saying, you know, congratulations, you've been selected. Like that's a that's an honor, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it, it's a really, really good feeling. It's it adds a different sense of accomplishment to the work that you've put in because I don't want that to come across as the only sense of accomplishment because it isn't right. There's a lot of personal growth that goes into that, that process and whether you're, you know, I made that end goal or not, you know, I still haven't made the national team in foam, but whether I make that end goal or not, like I'm not going to let my progress that I've made be dependent upon that, outcome you know what i mean the outcome does not define the work that goes in the journey yeah yeah um well said um i know i said that a lot during this episode but (laughs) you definitely you definitely enlightened me with some of these some of these answers so 
please feel free to rant on. Um, if this episode <laughs> ends that. up, thank you. If if this episode ends up going three hours, I don't care. I make no apologies for how long or short these episodes are. Um, the objective of each interview is to showcase your story, and if it happens to be as long as a Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, then by all means, I mean I'm not mad at it. And um, yeah, man, that's well said. Well said. Uh, next question. Um, how has it been playing competitively with the Mavericks men's team? Oh, I love it, man. I, I, I love it. You know, the the Mavs are are my squad. They're my homeboys, right? Like, so a lot of us either played together at Humber or trained together with Humber, right? So the Mavs would come in and practice with us and, and things like that. So I've been with the team for uh, officially for one tournament. We just had the Quebec Cup because I – I became a Mav uh, right before nationals got canceled before COVID. Mm. Um, but it, it's, it's great. Like, yeah, sure. I just became a Mav, you know, officially with our first tournament, but I've known all these guys for, for years now. Right. And there's so much to learn from so many different people on that team. And you look at different people and you embody different things from each of them. Right. I could go through here and list all eight guys that are on the team and say different things that they're so good at that I look at and I try and embrace in my game and try and add elements of them to mine. But it's good, man. It's, it's a family, you know what I mean? And, and all of us are super, super close. And it's not like our relationship as a team is dependent upon dodgeball. You know, we're, we all get along so well and we can just kind of vibe together outside of dodgeball and, and even like disregarding dodgeball. Right. So that's something that I think is unique where you get a group of people that get along so cohesively well that you don't need to talk about the reason that all you guys got together in order to avoid any like awkward silences or awkward moments and things like that. Right. <laughs> so how I'm pretty sure, I think you kind of answered it, but how has the team impacted your own game and which position do you prefer to play in now and why? <laughs> um, so how the team is, has um, kind of implemented elements of my game or, or altered elements of my game, um, I mean, to put it in perspective, before I started training with Vic, I, I never even dropped down to the ground. <laughs> I didn't want to need that before I started training with Vic, right? So he, he, he saw me as this product coming to Humber, and, and in, in my own description of it, you know, if this comes across as arrogant or anything, I apologize, but... You know, I had some raw talents. I did some things pretty well. Um, and he was like, okay, so, you know, let's let's take this this car and let's buff it up a little bit. Let's give it a new paint job and let's give it some extra rims and kind of make it into this nice machine, right? Mm. Um, and and he, he really fine-tuned me as a dodgeball player. And then you look at, you know, the other side of the coin is uh, they've helped me really gain my composure, you know? So now, now I get to this point where I never let myself get too high on the court. I never let myself get too low on the court. It's something I'm still working on. Right. But, right. Um, but the other element of the game is I was always kind of known as a right corner. I've always played right corner. Uh, like I said, I play a very nitty gritty style. So I'm best suited in my own opinion with a ball um, because it allows me to draw more attention. Uh, and being with the Mavs has taught me how to play in the mid. Right. So now I've gone from being this, you know, pretty consistent and you know competitive corner to being almost like a swiss army knife where no matter what role i got to play on the court 
you know, I've got a pretty good basis and pretty good understanding of, of how to make the best of that position. Right. But in regards to positions I'd like to play most, I'd probably say um, that six or the, the right corner. Nice. All right. Um, how has it been to play on a team coached by Victor Gravilli? And do you um, feel it has do you feel it has sorry. better prepared you for the national squad tryouts? Yeah, Vic, Vic's great, man. <laughs> like, Vic's <laughs> a lot of fun, man. You know, I, I know that um, I, I've heard that there's some some mixed opinions on Vic. Uh, I didn't know what to expect when I first went to Humber with what it would be like. Um, and I like to think that I'm a pretty laid back person, so I'm kind of like go with the flow, whatever it is, but. Uh, Vic is great and and you know his resume in a certain sense kind of speaks for itself right his um, his years of working with the national teams and the national programs and the ideas that he's brought to dodgeball and even some of the ideas he's bringing forth now um, it, it's a learning experience you know what I mean and and I'm very very appreciative and it's funny actually speaking of Vic because Believe it or not, Vic and I had a horrible relationship when I started the Humber. <laughs> we, we we couldn't stand each other, man. It was hilarious. You know, so we we, we had some some dark days and, and it got to a point where, you know, I was ready to walk away from Humber. I think he got to this point of uh, being ready to kind of let me walk away from Humber and we were kind of mutually in agreement that maybe this isn't going to work out as much as we, we would want it to. And, you know, lo and behold, we kind of, got together and talked out our differences and and uh reconciled whatever needed to be kind of reconciled for about better for a lack of a better way to put it uh and now we get along great man now i'm i'm, I'm very very appreciative you know uh I, I still tell everybody i'm like i'm i'm very lucky to be coached by vic he's he's helped me a lot uh in regards to like tryouts for the national program i have no idea man i think that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. I don't even know if I'm at a point to compete with some of these guys, man. Like, but, you know, I, I would say this much. I think that training with Vic and, you know, being with the Mavs and working with the Mavs and continuing my growth as an individual and as a teammate, uh, I don't think I could be in a better position than working with Vic and, and working with the Mavs. So for that, I'm very appreciative of, of each of them, both the Mavs and Vic individually. So, um, I've, I've heard, I've heard of Vic, uh, before, um, periodically, I'm not even sure if I'm friends with him on Facebook. It, I wouldn't be surprised if I am. Um, would you say he's kind of like the Phil Jackson in Canada? Oh man, you're setting a high standard, man. You're, 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 you're going right Phil Jackson, eh? <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, has there ever been an, and this is just probably me showcasing my ignorance a bit. Has there ever been another, men's coach other than Vic? Uh, so to my knowledge, oh man, and, and this is going back for my time, so I don't want yeah. to make it seem like I, I know for certain. I think around like the 2016 World Championships was when Vic took over, but I'm not 100% sure. It might have been before that. Um, but no, like I, I think that comparing Vic to, to the Phil Jackson is is – good in certain senses and i think that it's off in other senses um like phil jackson was known for getting the triangle from somebody else and then just mastering the implementation of it right right whereas i think that the ideas that vic takes um a lot of them he kind of comes up with on his own in a certain sense and he's like look let me let me put this through the ranks and see how it works 
and go from there, right? Um, I think he's a very innovative mind, especially in Canadian dodgeball. Um, in my experience with working with other individuals in the sport in the country, I would say that um, he is the best innovative mind in the sport in regards to tactics, in regards to playmaking. Um, the other thing that I, I think is unparalleled with Vic is on court, he's fantastic at finding kills. And I, I don't know how you acquire that skill. I've played with other players who are pretty good at it. Um, but he'll kind of whisper to you, be like, you know, look for your counter on this player or look to take this player as he's getting ready to throw. And like, he sees these kind of tendencies. Um, but he is, man. I, I would say he's, he's definitely the most innovative mind in dodgeball, whether it be cloth or foam that I've personally ever worked with. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess you could say the Phil Jackson, whoever you want to put in there, man. Phil Jackson, Brad Stevens. <laughs> I mean, up here we're gonna call him Nick Nurse, man. You know, now I got a coach of the year. We're we're, we're gonna go with that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the reason I go with Phil Jackson, and it's funny you mentioned that, um, yes, he did take the triangle from the innovator, uh, Tex Winter, but he also made it work in the modern game. Because um, Tex Winter devised that scheme back in the 70s, early or right. late 60s. And um, the only thing Phil Jackson did was kind of tweak it a bit for the personnel that he had. So, um, so it's not 100, even the way it's run, for anyone who's a bit of a basketball nerd, and again, I'm a nerd, um, if you've watched old school basketball clips or games and basketball games that Phil Jackson has coached, it the implementation is the same, but the principles are kind of different. So just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, it looks like we both can just rant on and rant on and rant on and drop knowledge on these people listening. Um, <laughs> and I can honestly say the time has definitely flown. Um, how you came across my radar, like I said, I interviewed Katie four or five months ago. It seems like time has just flown by me this year. I don't know about you. And um, I got to say, interviewing Katie was one of my favorites this year. And for her to recommend you, yeah, uh, you definitely given her a run for her money in that end. So (laughs) on that end, I want to say thank you. and now I'm going to hit you in the gut and I'm going to ask you something, uh, uh, something called the legacy question. I've asked every guest um, this year, how would you like to be remembered once you play your final game? I mean, once I play my final game, man, I, I want to be remembered as a good person and forget being on the court. You know, like I don't, I, I don't really care about if I'm remembered as this amazing dodgeball player or he was so good at this, he was so good at that. I want to be remembered as somebody who was was just an overall good person. Like, it's like, I want to be the person where it's like, oh my God, like that, that guy is, he's such a nice dude. He's genuine. He's honest. You know what I mean? Those values, those life-based values mean more to me than anything I could ever do well or poorly on the court, right? <laughs> you know, being an inclusive individual and trying to expand the growth of dodgeball is is more than anything else like my my greatest achievement so far in my own opinion is the effect that i've i've been able to have the effect i've been lucky to have on all of these kids both in the youth program on the on the cloth side and then working with high school kids and getting them interested in dodgeball on the foam side like those are those are more 
more meaningful to me than anything I could ever do on the court, whether it's win a medal, whether it's win this, that, or the next thing, right? There's no accolade that can uh, manifest the a type of type of appreciation that I have from events like that. Yeah, uh, a couple things I want to tackle. Um, I can definitely hear the sincerity in your voice, uh, in your vibe. Um, I can honestly say you're not just a good person, you're a great person. Um, the fact that Sid and Katie put their stamp on you says more than <laughs> more than enough. Um, <laughs> like I said, those two are marvelous individuals, marvelous players that I'm just honored to call friends myself. Yeah, but you're privileged to live pretty much in their backyard. So do yeah, with that what you will. Um, I think your impact, especially with kids, especially with, yeah, especially with kids, it, it's without question. I mean, you're a very inspirational person, very well educated person and someone who has genuine life experiences. Like you literally pulled yourself from having nothing to, I don't want to say you're rich, but <laughs> I don't know, I don't <laughs> a, know if a, you are. A, a struggling business owner, man, as I call it. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, you, you're, you're ahead of the curve as far as where most people would be in your position. And I can tell as humble as you are, as nice as you are, you got some grit to you, man. Don't, don't get it twisted. You, you got some gangster to you. And I respect that. I respect the, I respect the hustle you have. I respect the the fight in you that you have. I respect the you, – you, you mentioned Will Smith's uh, speech about brick by brick, and you pretty much illustrated that through your story, through your message, throughout this whole episode, even before we even got to that particular story. You pretty much laid the foundation for your legacy, brick by brick, with no expectation of what your impact would be but do know that once that wall is built, if it hasn't been already, hopefully it's not your final game. Your legacy with everyone, you know, you're going to leave a lot of smiles and a lot of people's uh, faces. You're going to have a lot of people's respect. You're going to have a lot of people's admiration. Some people may even call you their rival respectfully. Uh, who knows? I don't know if they say that behind, you know, behind your back or to your face. But as, far as your legacy, I appreciate it, <laughs> but as far as your legacy goes with me, um, I can say I have not met you yet. I'm looking forward to meeting you. And you definitely left a, a lasting impression with me, man. You're genuinely a great dude. And I consider it an honor to cement your legacy. I can honestly say that by the time this episode airs, by the time people are listening right now, people are going to know you. People are going to have you on their radar more and more. And people are going to take, if anything, to take from you in this episode, brick by brick. And you'll see that wall be completed. And you're the perfect embodiment of that from where you started to where you are now. And hopefully where you'll continue after this this is over with. For sure, man. I, I appreciate, uh, first and foremost, you know, yourself for having me on here and doing these podcasts. I think it's great. I think it, uh, it definitely adds to the exposure of the sport um and not to mention massive thanks to katie for the acknowledgement in her interview i know that she mentioned me in the interview and i'm very appreciative of that uh and the recommendation from her and said you know i'm i'm a broken record at this point but i'm very appreciative for for both of them and, <laughs> and and the role that they played in me being here you know this was an awesome opportunity and i had a lot of fun man yeah man um 
yeah, it definitely, definitely was a lot of fun for me as well. Uh, like I said, I think I've met my Canadian version of myself. Uh, I sound way <laughs> more polite than I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment in my eyes. <laughs> That's one thing I want to ask. How is it that any Canadian I speak to, you guys sound super polite without even trying? Uh, I don't know. Man. Maybe it's a misconstrued acknowledgement of how we act. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, but like anybody else, man, we, we got we come with our uh, our scars and our bad days, you know. But uh, I mean, that's fair. But it's like, regardless, I could tell someone's Canadian not so much by the accent, but just how polite they sound, which is weird to say. <laughs> like you guys all sound super polite, super grateful. And like, what what's in the water up there? What what do you guys do? What's going on? Give me the secrets of life. Yo, you know what it is, man? honestly. And this is me speaking from the heart more than anything else. Like, my my goal in in life is beyond dodgeball. Like, you know, life is a lot bigger than dodgeball. As much as I love it, I love the sport and I love playing it. But in life in general, you know, you have the ability, the innate ability to either tell yourself that you're going to try and leave a positive feeling with the people that you interact with or not. And when you dedicate yourself to that idea, you, you become this, this person of being like, okay, like I want to, I want to be the embodiment of positivity and that, that vibe, that feeling, you know, uh, emotion is, is radiant. You know, it, it goes from one person to the other. So when you, walk into a room with a lot of positivity or you meet somebody who's a very positive person, then it almost creates positivity within yourself, you know? And then beyond that, you get to this point of self-recognition where you kind of understand how, you know, when somebody kind of acts in ill will towards you more often than not, it's either justified or it's a manifestation of feelings that they have unresolved towards themselves. So at least for me, and I don't like to speak for anybody else. And I apologize if it comes across as me speaking for anybody else. But for me, it's like when somebody has an outburst towards me or something like that, it's like, listen, man, like if you feel comfortable enough or if you feel suited to kind of let out your ill-willed feelings that you were holding in with his, inside at me, then I'm okay with that. Why, why would I not be okay with that, man? Somebody's kind of releasing their inner demons and inner frustrations. That's cool. It's not going to affect how I am, man. Like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I, I hope you're feeling better. <laughs> You a better man than me, because if someone lashed out on me, man, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll, I'll let the South Side Detroit come out if that happens. But you, like I said, you a better man than me. <laughs> like yeah, I said, I, I went through my days of being of being angry and being a hothead, man, and like you know trying to start fights on and off the court and getting so now I just I just can't do it. You know, it's 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 not worth the. In, in my opinion, once again, this is. All of this is only my opinion, but like I just yeah. I can't allow myself to be to be worked up like that, right? Like I've been lucky enough to escape a couple of close calls in my life that really would have been life altering. And when you go through situations like that, you kind of just get this different perspective than you know maybe the average individual, and you're able to kind of see that you know some things just aren't worth it. And you know when it comes to life as a whole and interactions with people dude i'm so happy like i'm I'm very very lucky to be able to say that i'm a happy individual you know i'm in a great spot in my life i i'm appreciative for the interactions with people that i have and and i hope that my interactions with people can be nothing but positive 
other than when I'm getting the mode in dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than that, other than that, um, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> I definitely wish you uh, further success, uh, continued success until you play Team USA, and then I hope you get all the smoke. Um, <laughs> I just I just had to leave it with that uh, sarcastic sign off. But um, before we wrap this up, do you have any shout outs you like to give? Oh man, there's a lot, man. You know, to all, do it. all my Mavs fellas, you know, all eight of you guys, to whomever's listening to this, you know, I'm appreciative for all of you guys. I'm excited for the future. To my Hamilton family and the cloth team and all that environment, I'm appreciative of all of you guys. You know, my family, my friends, my loved ones, and. You know, there's a lot of people that have played a lot of different roles. And, you know, I, like I said, I can't sit here and name everybody, but, <laughs> you know, my, whatever somebody would determine as my quote unquote success or the person that I am today, there's a lot of people that played a role in me becoming the individual that I am and having the values that I do. So to all of those, to whomever they are here nor there, I'm, I'm very appreciative of all. All right, everyone. And that was my interview with Matt O'Brien. Matt, thanks so much for hopping on and sharing with us your story. And as you can, as you can tell, that was one of the most fun interviews I've had in a long, uh, <laughs> in season five. Um, he's a true gent and he's someone who I think after hearing this episode, you would root for him just as much as I would. Um, stay tuned for my next guest. I'll make the announcement very shortly. If you listen up to this point, thanks so much and have a wonderful day.